on this week's bet the process podcast rufus and i do a mailbag and rufus gets to tell me what he likes most about me and what he dislikes most about me and we have some deep psychological stuff about uh Haralabob's little podcast with our buddy pablo torre we talk a little bit about the world series of sports betting and then we do a trip around college and around the NFL where we try to give you as many negative EV bets as we can. And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling. Is Welcome pathetic. to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where Rufus. Again, blew our podcast off last night. What, what was that all about? Like, you just didn't even show up and you didn't even respond to me. Well, I mean, just shit to you now. Uh, didn't you send that invite like at like 7 p.m. or something? No, that invite was there all week. <laughs> okay. Well, it, I was... It's been there. Like, that's our standing time for, I don't know if you know how calendar invites work, but that's our standing time. It oh, was there. I don't really know. I how asked you, hey, we're doing this tonight. And then you didn't even respond. And you ghosted me, but that's okay. We're here together now. And we're going to do a mailbag, which is fun. We're trying to get our buddy Rob P on, but he says that he needs a little bit more notice than 12 hours. His dance card gets full pretty early these days. Um, do you want to start talking? You you mentioned a couple of things that you wanted to talk about. One was this Haral Bob article, uh, Haral Bob um, podcast. It's interesting to me. I haven't listened to it yet. And I have a huge respect for Pablo. Pablo's a friend. And I actually have a lot of respect for Hal Bob also. Um, so I will listen to it. I do want to listen to it, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, but it's interesting to me, one, that Hal Bob did the press because he's generally pretty reluctant to do press. I know he does uh, Simmons's podcast. He's done it before. He certainly doesn't like to talk a lot about his betting um, what were some of the things that like you thought about? Was there anything interesting out of it? Cause you listened to it and is it worth listening to? I think it's definitely worth inter- listening to. Um, I thought it was very interesting. I I'm not sure what I learned from an analytics perspective or anything like that, but it, it kind of made the Mavericks organization seem kind of like, you know, middle school in terms of gossip. It felt like, like Haralba was defending himself against a bunch of, um, a bunch of stuff, basically. It kind of went through a laundry list of things that were said about him. And he was saying like, no, that was misunderstood. That didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. But it just, it, it, it was an interesting look um, into what goes on in an organization or at least that one particular organization and kind of how it is hard for someone, that, an outsider, I guess, to sort of have an impact um, in a way because of this sort of culture on the inside. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's an interesting observation that you made because ultimately I think it's something that is uh, culture within companies and that, that whole idea of how um, someone from the outside can make impact in a culture that's been well-established and not, um, 
like cause waves, but yet bring in new progressive thinking. I think that's a very hard thing. Um, and I think, you know, her Alibab, from what I know of him is not necessarily the best person to do that. Cause it's not like he's warm and fuzzy on the outside, right? He doesn't have that sort of like uh, the EQ that you might need to do that. And, and I think a lot of analytics people probably don't have that EQ, right? It's, it's a hard EQ to have, especially when a culture, especially when you're kind of going into a culture where you're largely telling people they've been wrong up till now. Right. I think you make a good point. But what's interesting is that, um, according to Bob, Cuban wanted him to ruffle feathers and to be kind of the guy that points out things because he said they were missing something. Cuban wanted to bring somebody in that could sort of help in areas that they're deficient in. And, and so that, if that entailed ruffling feathers, that was okay. But it, it, what it seemed like to me was that there are a lot of people with a lot of egos and people care about their jobs and people are resistant to change for that reason. I mean, people feel threatened. Um, a lot of the stuff seemed kind of petty and, and honestly really like middle school gossip stuff. So that, that was, um, that was kind of eye opening. Yeah, it's interesting. And and again, like, I think Cuban may have wanted that, but unless Cuban was really ready to commit to it, i.e. like blow out all these people. And I think you see this in a lot of the sort of analytics owners, even in someone like Maury, there's a def, there's a deference to the, the old guard, right? Like the people that have played the game or the people that they need to bring people along. I know, I know Daryl stayed, with Mikhail a lot longer than I thought he should have back in the day. Cause he felt like Mikhail was like a good sort of, um, you know, messenger for him at some level. Um, it, it's a, it's a kind of a fascinating thing to talk about outside of the world of sports, which is like it, this is like the Cade thing. Like hopefully Cade listens to this and he goes, wow, this is interesting. This is like the class that Cade Massey teaches, which is all about influence and how to use influence um, in a situation like this. And I wonder, it'd be good actually like to maybe next week have Cade listen to that podcast and we can come back on and talk about influence broadly as it pertains to sports or, or betting. And even some of the questions that we have on the mailbag um, largely do are a little bit about influence or about like soccer skills and things like that. No one can see you nodding, Rufus. I can see you nodding. But it doesn't make for good podcasting if you just not. I mean, I agree. I think Kate's perspective is always interesting, especially on things like this. Well, but this is like what he teaches, right? Like, I would oh, love exactly. to hear his lens on listening to this Ralabob podcast. And obviously, he knows Ralabob also. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit about this, uh, this uh, World Series of Sports Betting or whatever it's called? Yeah. Um, I, I just heard about this today, actually. There, there was an article. Um, well, I Googled it to find the article because I, I heard about it because uh, a reporter actually reached out and asked if, if they could talk to me about this. Um, this it's going to be sort of a reprisal. Is that the right word? Of I don't know. It's, it's, it's uh, irrelevant anyway, irrespectively. Um, but, but the DraftKings Sports Betting National Championship, which I'm going to – I may defend my third place crown potentially. So it's going to be the week of, I think it's like November 7th, that weekend. Um, what have they done differently than when you did this? It, well, I don't know. Um, it's I like don't, there's no 
golf available so that's that's one thing well i mean golf wasn't i mean i guess i i parlayed some golf round matchups but they weren't hugely plus ev so i don't think that's the reason um i i got there i mean it is a reason so it's it's this coming week uh no it's in no, two, no. three weekends they have some qualifiers it looks like it looks like it's the same structure ten thousand dollar entry fee five thousand dollar bankroll five thousand dollars goes to the leaderboard prizes um there was obviously a big overlay last time which is the reason i entered i don't know if that'll be the case this time because one thing that um, is different is that states other than new jersey are eligible arizona colorado new hampshire pennsylvania tennessee wyoming so um, i guess you, you definitely have a bigger pool to draw from but i think if there's overlay if it's looking like there's going to be overlay you'll get a bunch of um a bunch of TFS, well, a bunch of professionals coming in um, or having beards come in to, to sort of scoop up what is, in essence, free money. Wait, what do you mean? I'm sorry. Well, if there's a big overlay, it's there's a it's very positive. EV. Oh, you're saying if there's a big overlay, got it. Yeah. Okay. And so now you had mentioned collusion. What do you what collusion do you think is possible? Well, I know the last sports betting national championship, there was a ton of collusion. I found out um, sort of during and after that there were groups, there were betting groups that had um, a dozen or more entries, um, obviously in different people's names that they were working together. And, um, you know, it's in, 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 in essence, um, giving themselves a pretty big advantage, in my opinion. So if you can bet both sides of a game on Sunday and you have two guys at the top of the leaderboard and with how, um, with how stratified the payout structure is with, with so much going to first place relative to second place, um, I think there's a huge benefit to colluding. However, but is, is that really rule. colluding at that point? Yeah. Do you think that should be against the rules? Well, it is against the rules. Is it? Yes. One entry per person and, um, I mean, but, you know, I was actually, t I was um, playing golf with, with someone that works at DraftKings actually um, earlier this week. And he was talking about, like, we were talking about this a little bit. And, you know, I said, I probably won't enter just because I'm, I feel like I'm at a big disadvantage because I know there will be a lot of collusion. And I mean, when th there was going to be this event, I, I'm not sure if it was this spring, this previous spring, or maybe it was the spring before, but um, I think it was this past spring, um, it got canceled, but I was approached by people saying, Hey, do you want to join my like group of 20 plus people to sort of, we can coordinate our, our betting and all that to maximize our chances overall. You know, that's, uh, you know, I mean, I said no, cause I feel cause it's against the rules. And, but I feel like at the same time, if I went in solo, I'm, clearly at a disadvantage to those people. So I think the only way I'll enter is if um, there's a massive overlay or because I'm actually close to New Jersey, I'm in New York. So if, if there's an overlay, I'll enter. Um, but, or if DraftKings decides to comp me an entry out of, you know, given what happened two and a half years ago, then I would, I would enter, but otherwise I probably won't. And if anyone wants to go and get a chance to win an extra entry, it's DraftKings um, tournament, hashtag bet the process. We have a referral code for you guys. Just kidding. 
No referral code for real. Just make sure you delete the emails afterwards so that there's no evidence. Okay. Um, let's go to the mailbag. Bruce Allen, you're not eligible to be in our group. Let's go to the mailbag. Wait, can so I'll, I'll, wait, hold on. Before we do, I, I, I thought this was an interesting exercise. So I, I personally think that there's that there is sort of a, a big advantage to having multiple entries and being able to sort of um, to, I guess, use that to pick, well, minimize variance and, and um, gain advantage. And I'm curious, Jeff, if you had a group of, let's say, let's say 30 entries in a contest where there's maybe, I don't know how many people there were, let's say there's 500 people. If you have 30 entries out of 500 people, what would your strategy be? And do you think that there is a greater benefit to colluding in this type of tournament, the sports betting national championship, than there is for a DFS like GPP? No, it kind of just reminds me of DFS at the core, right? Like, yeah, you can do like these optimizations and whatnot. Um, Although like there's so much like in DFS, so much of it's known at the beginning, right? Like you have to coordinate a lot more in this situation on the fly, right? And there's just a lot more like branches that you could go into from a, from a standpoint. Well, I think that's the benefit though, right? So let's say you have a few entries. Let's say that there you have two of the top five entries going into the final games. You can, you know, essentially have... I mean, you can bet the opposite side of the same game. Um, you could create a situation where, hell, you could even bet some alternate lines and create a situation where there's a only a small middle where, you know, at least one of them doesn't hit. Or, I mean, I feel like there's, there's a lot of options there. Um, I was trying to think about how I would actually structure, like if, if I were colluding, what would my approach be? Um, early on in the tournament and would that, would it be a big advantage? And I mean, the obvious first line of thinking was, you know, have each entry, well, sort of divide and conquer, right? Half of, half of the entries on one game or one side of a game, half on the other, you know, you lose half of it, you lose half your entries, um, the other half double up and then keep doing that. And, and, and you, you know, you, you essentially guarantee if you had 32 entries, what you got six, you know, 16, eight, four, two, one. I mean, you guarantee that, um, you're going to have something like, well, what is that? Two, four, eight, 16, like 16 X, right? Yes. Yeah. But is that, is that an advantage? If you have one entry out of 30, like making my head hurt a little bit, to be honest. Um, I, I think this is interesting, Jeff. I really do. I think this is, I know I'm letting you run with it. Well, I want your I want your opinion. I mean, I think that there is and like honestly, I've never messed around with any of this like DFS stuff in terms of figuring out like how to use multiple injuries to create an edge and and all that kind of stuff and I'm just not I don't care enough about this. I don't do this enough. I don't do this for a living. If I were entering this thing, I wouldn't want to collude. I just want to go have fun with it and like go and, and enjoy it. And so ultimately I'm like the wrong person to ask as it pertains to this. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, 
honestly, after thinking through it, I'm not sure how, I mean, you're reducing variance in a way, if you take that, the approach I mentioned, but you could also have, you know, take a few, uh, some big underdog money lines and then have another entry that parlays all the favorites together. So you're guaranteed to get one of them, but, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of like... would, would say like the, the bigger thing you could do is really try to create a huge variance opportunity where you have a chance, like someone has one of them has a chance to hit. Right. And that would be like where I would see. And that to me seems like the big like jackpot thing, the thing they do on DFS. So you would, can you explain what you mean by that? Um, I guess just have, um, I, I, I haven't thought this through. Cause as I mentioned, like, it's not something I think a lot about, but I'm guessing that there's there, if you have a, you know, you have a bunch that are, you know, towards the top that you can basically, you know, go do some very high variance opportunities with a few of them that give you an opportunity to like potentially like be on the top. Right. And because you have a bunch there, you just have an opportunity. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but like, it, it, it seems like I would rather do something that's high variance that has a very good chance to, and up number one, because as you said, there's a outsized yeah. payoff for being number one. Yeah. What would, what would your strategy be if you were just an individual entry? Let's say there's 500 people in, in, in the contest. Um, high variance, same, probably it's $5,000. You're losing $10,000. So I would probably just try to go with like a high variance strategy and um, just, I mean, that's kind of what you did, right? You turned over that 5,000 and how much I turned it into, I guess on Saturday, I turned it into 40,000. I think I had lost like 500 on Friday. I turned 4,500 into like 42,000, um, by round robining some golf parlays of round matchups, I believe, or I think it was one of those like six shooter things where you pick the one golfer out of six, um, thing. And then, and then I went all in on the Patriots just to cover the spread, um, cover, you know, laying minus one ten on Sunday morning, or I guess. Well, who's, who are they playing Sunday. in that game? The chargers. Oh, Patriots chargers. And the next game after that was Eagle saints. But what's interesting is there were people that, that, you know, Friday night. So it was Friday through Sunday, put their entire bankroll on the line, just on a big long shot or on a parlay. I think part of this, I think part of the strategy depends on what the, the limits are first off, you know, if let's say, you know, why not bet, put, bet everything on a 200 to one shot, there's 500 entries. Right. But if you, if you do that at the beginning, you sort of set a target for yourself or for other people, right. You're, you're, you know, if your bankroll suddenly goes to a million, then, you know, other people are going to be taking those huge shots too. Cause they'll know they need to. Yeah. So you almost don't want to, I, I think it's negative EV to, to sort of go all in too early in a way, but at the same time, a lot of that depends on what the limits are. You know, will DraftKings let you bet $5,000 on a 100 to one a parlay at a hundred to one odds? I, I, I don't think so. I don't think they did last time. So I think yeah. If you can figure that out before you actually hit submit, right? Yeah, like I said, I, I find this less interesting than you do. And 
I will be interested to hear if you end up doing this and getting a report from you on this. And I think you need to hold out as a, um, you know, you need to hold out um, uh, for us as the exclusive place that you talk about this and don't go be a media shill around where you can just, you know, be a media darling. Are you media darling? Not anymore. Um, Jeff, we I should talk about that. I, I like that question actually. I thought there it was a question there. But. Wait, I, I, I will say I didn't think it would be as interesting as it was before, um, the first time through the, the first sports betting national championship. I thought the strategy ended up being super interesting. So the game theory. So yeah. I mean, I think it's a fa- I think it's a great idea. I just I think that the the only problem is the fact that there is going to be a lot of collusion and so a lot of you know. The one entry per person is not really going to be adhered to. And so they're not, they're not going to be able to, you can try to police it all you want, but it's really hard to prove. So um, I don't plan on colluding. So I feel like it puts me at a disadvantage. You know, so you, okay, let's move on. Uh, Podcast questions. And like, this is a good one. This comes from our friend, uh, Sarah Mack who said, what are some of the best and worst things that have come from having a public presence? Overall, do you feel it's been a net positive? And and ultimately, Rufus, we kind of joked when we started this podcast that I had more followers than you. And that was kind of like the thing, like, would you ever get more followers than me? You have now blown way past me in terms of followers. How many followers do you have on Twitter? I don't know. You know better than me. I don't actually. So I'm going to look. How many do you have? I have like 22,000 or something like that. I mean, a paltry amount. 22,600 is what I have. Yeah, but you and have a roof about you. Yeah. In a movie. Yeah. And Rufus has 38,000 followers. So you are going to double me. What? What's the over-under on when you actually no. double me? Never. I don't think I will. What are you talking about? That's six thousand more followers. Seven thousand. Yeah, you're going to keep gaining followers too. I, I don't I've, gain that I've, many. I've, I don't I've gained. That I, I basically plateaued. I haven't gained much in the last year. I think I've I've stopped tweeting as much. I've started tweeting more positive. No, you have things. like your very cerebral like tweets. Okay, so answer. I've been more. I've been, answer. I've been too positive though. People don't want that. People want to hear me like attacking Schwimmer or Vegas Dave or whatever. And I've kind of, I don't know. By the way, we just won our second half over in the in the in the uh, Browns game. For anyone who cares, that was oh nice, well done. Uh, what are some of the best and worst things that have come about from having a public presence overall? Do you feel like it's been a net positive? So I think the the worst this is thing... when Seth Byrne says, "Do you have a public presence?" Sorry. <laughs> do you want to go first, or should I go first, Jeff? I think that question was to you, not to me. Well, I mean, you have a public presence too, though, and you've actually had the same. You've had you've been on this journey a lot longer than I have. You were the you were the the first predictive analytics expert at ESPN, mm-hmm. or as I like to say, analytics expert. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I uh, Cynthia Freeland stole my title too. At some point, she was yeah. an analytics expert. There's been three of us, really. Has there been one since? I don't know. I think things changed. After the legalization, 
I mean, Cheetah was not considered an analytics expert. He was considered a professional better and a betting analyst. I think Doug K could not be considered an analytics expert at anything unless it's trying to middle. He's an, he's a middling expert. The guy tries to middle everything. Uh, who else is on there? Fortinbaugh. Who else is on ESPN? I, I think it's, I think it's on. different. Now you have like gambling analysts or something. I don't know, but got it. Should we get to the Okay, so you and I are two of the three predictive analytics experts. And Cynthia has actually never given me credit for because that was the title that I created. What well, well scratch. You passed it on to me. It. Or I had yeah. the option, I took it. Yeah. I think I might have asked you what I should be what I what title I should take. And you, but so back to back to uh Sarah Mac's question. Um I think the worst things the I think overall it's been difficult because I think initially, initially you, it's, it's fun and thrilling. And you're like, Oh, look at me. I have all these followers. Like I'm, you know, I'm on TV. Um, and like, I mean, I, you know, as a kid, if you told me I'd be on sports center, I'd be like, that's amazing. That's everything I could ever hope to achieve. But I think the, the, the downside is that you have a bunch of people essentially judging you and, and everything you do and you get a lot of criticism and you sometimes um, sometimes it, it, it's hard to not take it personally. And so, I mean, it's both positive and negative and it becomes like a drug. And so I think honestly, for me, it's been a net positive though, because had it, I had not had that, you know, I, I feel like in experiencing that I've come to really understand that, I guess who I am as a person and, and to, I guess, I'm sorry, this is hard to describe, but, but basically um, to allow my happiness to depend on me and not the externals, I guess, by having all these externals come, it, it kind of allowed me to, you know, I guess it, I, I was thrown into the, to the fire in a way that I never would have been otherwise, which is, I think made me a much better person, um, much more self-aware, self-accepting, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think overall it's, it's been a net positive, but if, if you asked me that, like, you know, three years ago, I probably, or two years ago, I'd probably say net negative. Have you ever done a, the Enneagram test personality test? I don't think I've done that one. I've done a bunch of them, but. So Enneagram is like done by the Gottman Institute and it's a pretty good personality test. And there's the, you have different types and, my personality type is a type three. And what that means is that I really seek a lot of like validation. Um, like I, I need people to tell me like, I'm, I'm cool and I'm great. And like, that's in like people's opinions are super important to me. And that's like a horrible thing to have if you become like any kind of public persona, right? Like, cause ultimately you guys might not think it, but when you guys are on there tweeting about how much of an ass I am, for, for interrupting Rufus, it does deeply impact me. So it's like, and, and, you know, ultimately I still think Rufus needs to be interrupted. So I kind of think I'm doing God's work at some level. So I have to overcome that criticism, but I do think it's, it's challenging. And I, I think that the public persona, I think you're right. It is like a little bit of a drug. Like when I did the ESPN stuff, I largely hated doing it. I was not particularly good on television. I was getting up every morning sorry, every Sunday morning at like 4.45 to go to a studio to do these sports center hits. 
Um, and it was just, it was miserable. It made my Saturday night miserable. I, I wouldn't, couldn't really do anything. Needed to go to bed early. And, um, and then Sundays I was, I was worried about how my bets, the picks that I did, cause I wanted them to do well. I didn't want to check Twitter if I didn't, you know, it's just, it's tough and you have to be pretty thick skin. And I don't know if I'm nearly that thick skin where I can just let all this stuff wash off me like a, like a duck. But have you, I mean, to me, it's sort of like getting used to big gambling swings, right? I mean, no. I think that it isn't like that for you. No, I mean, you would see, that's why I'd be curious to know what kind of personality type you are, because ultimately I bet we're very, very different. I don't and I think, think so, what Jeff. I'm saying is my personality type. It's just really hard for me to be in the public eye these days when the public eye can be so um, can be so challenging, can be so mean, can be so like anonymous stuff that people tweet at you on Twitter is just can be just mean. Well, Jeff, for so long, or I feel like that I, says to you in person can be really mean. No, I, I think I sought out validation for a long, long time. And, and I remember my therapist telling me that at some point I do it because in some way I feel like I'm not good enough or there's some part of me I don't accept. And then I don't know, I've done a lot of, like, honestly, I've done a lot of work on myself. Um, and it's been tough, but rewarding. And, you know, it's like my brother told me, we were talking about stress, um, the other day, last a few weeks ago, maybe. And he, um, he said, well, it's easy for you to not be stressed. Like you're not naturally stressed. You just like take things, you know, you things just bounce off of you. Um, like, no, that's definitely not the case at all. Like I've, it's been a battle and it's something I still fight. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about another question, which is this, someone said, my girlfriend was skeptical at first about how possible it is to win money betting. To her, it's a negative thing with no good to come from it. How do you help talk, explain without saying, without just saying, trust me? Um, I mean, you show your tax returns. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, in all seriousness, it's, uh, uh, is this a girlfriend that is, is this a girlfriend that is concerned that you're going to lose all your money gambling? I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's what the illusion is. And so, I I mean, I think ultimately, like, if someone asks you this question out of the blue, so like someone is asking us this question out of the blue, we know nothing about this person. My advice literally would be like, listen, like, you can't, either she's going to be behind you when you do this or not. And ultimately, like, most people when they bet are not going to win. So she's largely correct, right? So it's, it's, it's a hard one because like, I think you're a rarity where you probably had to have this conversation a fair amount of times in your life, right? Me? Because it is your sole income and you've had to explain to people that this is not a fly by night, like two for the money, Matthew McConaughey situation. Well, Jeff, I've, you know, I've been on dates. This is like seven, eight years ago where I, I remember one date. Um, I thought the date went really well, but afterwards she said, I can never be with someone that gambles for a living. Yeah. So I, I think, so. I mean, I would think if it's a serious girlfriend, like, I mean, I mean, my, my serious girlfriends all 
I guess, understood the way I approach this and that it's, it's investing for me. It's not gambling. And so I think if, if it is, you know, if, if them seeing my process and seeing the, how hard I work and all that, I think, it, um, you know, it, it is a career. You've had, you've had to date some pretty sophisticated women for the either. Yeah. For them to understand the nuance of this, right. Cause it is, it is a definitely a challenge to explain to people. Well, I think if, if, if someone has sort of problem gamblers in their family or knows problem gamblers, I think it's a lot harder. Um, so we'll move to the next one, which is hi, Rufus. I have a question for the BTP mailbag. Do you have any recommendations on resources for the psychology of sports betting? For me, a quantifiable edge and bankroll management can only go so far before emotions intervene and it caused me to be unsuccessful as of late. Any advice? Silence is golden. Like what, where, where's the advice for this? Sorry, this refrigerator is starting to make noises. So I was muting myself while you were talking. Is your refrigerator running? Apparently it is. And, Perfect. Um, but all right, well, I'll before, start before with I recommend man. a book, before I recommend a book, I'll say, I think first off have, if your emotions are causing you to not be successful, I think make sure you have a process and you commit to sticking to it where, you know, regardless of what happens, I mean, I feel like if you, you outline that, that's, I mean, I know that that's easier said than done, but you know, if you have sort of that process that you sort of commit to, I think it becomes easier. Um, cause you know that you, you know, not to bet emotionally, but, um, I think the swings, you get used to it over time. Um, that's just the nature of it. And, and, and the downswings don't hurt as much or, um, or you're able to at least be able to process them better in terms of, I, I don't know any actual, um, great resources. I mean, I think just like that are specific to, to sports betting. Do you, do you Jeff? No, I mean, I, I think ultimately I think this, this, this question I think is a very problematic question to be honest. Right. Because if you are really a, you know, if you really have a quantifiable edge and you understand bankroll management, then you should never like fall for your emotions. Right. Well, like, I think I that's think when the, I think it's when you lose sight of that bankroll management and and that's what I'm saying. Right. Like if you really follow both of those, there's no there's no psychology here, right? The psychology is all about like how do you understand variance, right? And how do you like if if you don't if you're if you're truly analytical as to your approach to gambling, meaning like you believe you have a quantifiable edge and it's back tested and you really understand what that means and you understand the concept of bankroll management, right? You're never going to get into trouble unless you get into like what a four or five standard deviation event. And really that shouldn't happen, right? Like this psychology is, Hey, you know what? If you flip a coin, it could land heads 10 times in a row and you just need to have enough money to be able to withstand that variance. But that is going to happen. Right. It sounds kind of, I think that, it sounds kind of like this is like, how do you make sure you don't go on tilt and bet things you wouldn't normally bet or essentially chase losses, that kind of thing, which comes down to the being able to mentally deal with bad, with losing. You know what it comes down to Rufus? It comes down to betting the process, which is right. the name it's of this like podcast. Like 100%, I, I 100% agree. 
Yeah. Having a process that you stick to and committing to that and being able to sit with the losses, being able to go to bed saying, I lost however many thousands of dollars today. And I, there's nothing I can do to change that. I'm going to wake up, you know, having lost that tomorrow morning, but I can, you know, what's my plan going forward from here to stick to my process. And so it's, you know, it's easier said than done. Um, what's that saying? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. So here's like another good sort of follow-up to that. This guy is a discretion. I'm not going to read this because it's a long, it's a long, it's a long question, but he's basically a trader, a global macro trader for a small family office. He finds himself competing against quants and algos all the time. Um, what, what he is essentially saying is that he does not know how to quantify his edge, right? And because of that, he does not know how to determine when to increase risk. So I think this is an interesting question, which is, how, first of all, how does this guy know he has an edge if he doesn't know how to quantify it? Well, maybe based on results. So but based History. on historical results. So his sort of like process has worked enough over time, right? And this is like, um, you know, Dr. Bob has that whole like uh, thing that he does with that database and that data mining stuff that he does. And like, if you kind of ask him how he knows it works and he's not overfitting and all that kind of stuff that he'll say like, oh, well, it's worked historically, right? And that's like his reasoning, right? And that's something that's probably pretty hard, I think. Well, I guess you could quantify it because it's like a, it's like a back, it's like a, it's like there's percentages attached to it. So if you believe those are predictive, you could quantify it. Um, but I do think it's interesting in the areas like the, this is the, um, like when Cheetah tweets out or sends us a WhatsApp about some line that he knows is going to move because he knows like this team got stuck overnight in some other state and isn't going to get in in time like how do you think this is you're probably the wrong person to ask about this because all of the risk all of the edge that you ever have you really think you can quantify pretty well but i do think it, it begs a question which is when you like when you can't quantify your risk can you feel confident in betting against it i guess or bet or, or sorry can you can't quantify your edge can you feel confident in going after it? Well, I think um, the person who asked the question also mentioned, like, if a line moves against you, do you double down or respect a move or do you ever buy out of a position? Which I think, I think it's harder for sure if you don't have, if you can't quantify your edge there. But I think that's a hard question in general, first off. I mean, it's um, because that's more information you're getting. So, um, I mean, I think that, I can quantify my edge, but, but at the same time, I'm quantifying my edge based on historically how this particular process has done for me. Not that there's no guarantee that's going to continue moving forward. Just like Dr. Bob and just like this, just like anybody, just, you know, I mean, just like this guy who doesn't quantify his edge, but he believes he has an edge. It may continue. It may not. How about this guy? I think we're all dealing with the same thing. I don't think he's, you know, he has, I guess, fewer tools to be able to sort of, I guess, analyze it, but it's fundamentally the same issue. You know, past performance doesn't guarantee future results. Um, 
Another guy says, I bet more to test my theories and process opposed to making money, but for three seasons in a row, I've had solid winning seasons. Being selective and looking for closing line value, do you think it's possible to win long-term purely discretionary? What do you think This, is, this is the same person, by the way. Oh, it is? Yeah. Um, so I, I think by discretionary, I guess discretionarily, it, uh, I, I think it means without sort of mathematical quantif- like quantitative So it's process. like betting some sort of weird like uh fundamentals or i don't know let's move on or just based on your intuition i would think intuition would be sort of a discretionary bet i I think it's possible for sure i don't think i could do it but i think i think to sustain success you need to have some sort of process and whether that process relies on your intuition or relies on you know quantitative analysis um you know there's people that have made you know made both of those work. I think it's harder now to do it purely based on intuition or discretionary, just given how much more efficient markets are now. But, um, you know, I don't think I can say it's not possible. Um, let's move on to what is Jeff's most annoying as well as his most endearing personality trait. Ooh, I want, I want Jeff, I want you to answer that first. About myself yeah, or about you? I want to sell, I want a Jeff self-assessment. Um, I've been doing a lot of self-work lately. I think my most annoying, I mean, I have a bunch of annoying traits. I will be the first to admit it. I think one is that I can be, uh, very combative and, uh, you know, initially, or like, I can be very like seemingly unfriendly, uh, at first, like this is the whole, like Rob Pizzolo, like thought I didn't like him for so long. And and so I don't know if that's an annoying trait so much. Um, I can be aloof. I think probably being aloof, like if I'm like looking at my phone and not really paying attention to you, being aloof, that's probably like not present. That's probably the most annoying. I, I was going to say that for, well, actually, no. What was I going to say for, well, it kind of goes with it, but I was going to say sort of when sometimes you just aren't, feels like you're not listening to me. What would you say? I think some, I think the sort of, I wouldn't call it aloof, but sometimes I think sometimes you tune me out and don't listen, like aren't actually listening to what I'm saying. That's probably, I don't understand what you're saying. Oh God. Well, 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 I got you twice. I got you twice. Fucking A. I think the most endearing is you are, you bring people in. You are, you are someone that, um, you make people feel welcome and like you're a really loyal friend. I, I like that Rufus. That, that feels like a good, that feels like a good thing to be an endearing quality. Um, I'm not going to say what my endearing quality is because that, that seems, that seems weird. What? Well, no, I, I Jeff. Yeah. I want to hear that. What do I think my endearing quality would be like if literally someone really were to make me ask, answer this, yeah, like, well, how do you define yourself? I mean, I think I deeply, think I think you... I deeply care about humans. Like, I, I don't like. I think a lot of people don't wouldn't necessarily believe that about me if they just got to know me. But like, I think I deeply care about human beings a, a, as people, and like, want like, want to like understand them and, and care. And I think I have like reasonable ability to like change my priors. Like, I'm not a someone that's like stuck in the mud and doesn't change. Right. 
So, like, I mean, I care about you a lot as a human, right? Even though you drive me crazy, but I care. So, I think, yeah, I, I, I think that actually, that fits well with what I said as well. I mean, I think that's why you are, you bring people in and, and take the time. Yeah. Okay, enough of this warm and fuzzy shit. Let's go to another sports betting question. Um, is there a good one that you have from a betting perspective? Ooh, um, well, I've one I bolded was what what people and courses had the biggest impact on your gambling careers. I think this is probably this is for both of us, Jeff. So I'll let you go first. I mean, for me, obviously, like the blackjack stuff was the biggest thing, right? Because ultimately, it taught me the concept of you know edge and analytics and just everything about it. Um, what people? What people, I mean, so let's just talk about sports betting. I think from a sports betting perspective and like for most of my life, you know, until like the last probably five or six years, I wasn't a winning sports better because I wasn't really that focused on sports betting as to make money. I like had a stint where I, you know, I had a very up and down and I think, meeting people like you and Cheetah um, has helped give me like more perspective on sports betting and has given me like a couple different approaches. And it's almost like I've created like a multi, what do you call the models that you always talk about? Mixed, mixed effect model or whatever. Like, it's almost like I've created like this, this hybrid model that um, allows me to um, be a better sports better. Um, I think when I was, early on in my life, I was surrounded by a lot of really bad sports betters. Like when I was in Chicago and I worked on the Chicago board of options exchange in the, in the mid nineties, that's where I first got my first exposure to sports betting. Cause all those people are sort of like down on the, you know, on the Chicago board of options exchange. And they're just these older, you know, traditional Chicago people that have grown up, you know, going on the tracks and all that kind of stuff. And there's just a, a culture around it. And, you know, when you, when people talk about like degenerates, that's like the, the degenerate lifestyle is like, you've kind of always got to have action. You're like an action junkie. And that's a really bad way to approach sports betting. I think, I think you've had a really big impact on me because of the dispassionate way that I think you often look at sports betting. And we talk about this a lot because you don't really agree that you have a dispassionate point of view, but I, I think you really do. Now, I think it's what one of the things that makes you such a great sports better is that ability to have that dispassionate point of view. Um, again, Cheetah's another guy, just because like if you juxtapose the two of you guys, you're very different in how you you approach things. Um, and seeing both of you guys as two of the most successful sports betters that I know is like one of the most sort of like, you know, it's an amazing experience to get to watch. How about you? Okay. So for me, the most, well, first off, I'll say, I don't, I guess I'm, I don't know if dispassion is the word I'd use, but I, I just understand. I think it's understanding of randomness and uncertainty and, and, but that's come from years of doing this. So what people in courses, I would say courses, um, econometrics, 
econometrics was the course that had the greatest impact on my gambling career for sure. Um, and then this also this like grad level course I took as a senior, a multivariate statistics for the social sciences, I think, which we had a, covered a litany of different methods. Um, that was, yeah. Um, in terms of people, uh, Cade Massey and Kenny White. Kenny White took a shot on me. He gave me, um, well, he hired me at LVSC for an internship and then full-time um, with, and, and, you know, was con like, was a great boss. He was confident, you know, co confident in me. He um, built me up. Um, he listened to me. He was, it doesn't, it wasn't a Dallas Mavericks organization type of situation. Although in my, like there were, although looking back, I mean, there were people that I ruffled, I mean, I ruffled some feathers and I kind of certainly um, rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, Cause I think early on, I, I was certainly a little more like a lot more arrogant than I am now. I would think um, I thought I knew a lot more than I did. And um, yeah. So Kenny white and, uh, and Cade Massey. Uh, do the best betters as a general rule, keep to themselves still. So I, I said this um, and I think I get a lot of, you know, few people like pointing this out. This was check shoved on Twitter. I, it's a good, I, I'm not sure right now. Cause I think that, I think yes. Um, but I mean, if you look at the best betters, I mean, like they're soccer betters typically. I mean, we could say like Haral Bob for NBA, he hasn't kept to himself anymore. Although he's not really betting um, that I know of, um, you know, Tony Bloom, like, um, you know, owns a, owns soccer a team, team, right? Matthew Benham. I mean, those guys aren't, you know, keeping themselves and the horse betters. I mean, so I don't know. I think what's interesting now is with the legalization in the United States, just the whole business side of things seems to be exploding. So in a way there's, I guess the best true betters. I mean, you know, we're probably maybe rethinking the sort of EV from betting maybe relative to the business side. I don't know, but. Yeah. I don't know how to answer that. Do you have an opinion, Jeff? Um, I don't. I mean, I think it's interesting because if you look at people like Shane and Spanky and guys that probably have traditionally been pretty under the radar, they're not really anymore. Well, and that is interesting to see. Hold on, we got to oh, pause for a sec. No, I, I pause for we, a sec. Okay, pause for a sec. So, yeah, I'm here. So you um, you mentioned Spanky. Um, and Shane as examples. And I think, I think part of it is the fact that back in, um, you know, back when I was getting started, I mean, lawyers basically said, no, don't talk about the fact that you bet. Like it's, you know, it basically is just a risk. You don't want to, it, it's right. I mean, have your, have your lawyers given you different advice now? Or well, I think now, like now it's, now it's legal in the United States. It's, I think it's, things have definitely changed now. I mean, Hell, Spanky will tell you if he had been had a more public profile, he doesn't think he would have gotten arrested. I mean, that's what he learned because people mis mistook him for a bookmaker. I mean, now if, if I'm going through an airport, I feel much better about taking having like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in cash with me um, because I if, if someone says, oh, no, are you a drug dealer? You know, or they, or they try to confiscate if TSA tries to confiscate it because, you know, I, I feel like I can 
provide a good amount of evidence that no, like this, I'm, I actually gamble for a living. I have tax returns to prove it. I mean, back in the day, we used to travel with like a note from our lawyer, basically saying that we carry around lots of money because we bet for a living. But I mean, I think the, there, there's a mountain of evidence of, for me, I guess, in terms of, um, you know, out there, right. Articles and stuff like that. So, um, so in a way, I mean, there's advantages to it now. And obviously there's advantages for people that, um, in terms of getting accounts and, and I've gotten, you know, I've, I've gotten accounts in different markets that I ever, than I ever did in the past, in the past year or two, um, as a result of it. So, Hey, the refrigerator stopped running. That means the refrigerator is not running. Yeah. Uh-oh, what are you going to do? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's an interesting question and like, like largely like, like I mean, who would you, of all the people in the world right now, if you, you, let's say you lost your ability to bet, okay, who would you give all of your money to to and just tail is there anyone i don't know honestly i i think i don't think i would give all my money to someone to bet with if i gave my money it would probably it would need to be for a better cause but no i mean but you in this if i had if presumptively I had you need to make money so you need to this is a very you know contrived example but it's like you can only make money going forward this is like uh, squid games or something you really need to like provide for your family and and how are you going to make that money you can only back one better who is it you know i'm not going to name it on this podcast really because i i don't know exactly i think i would there's the there's how much do i want to get someone sort of young who is got so a you have of, someone in mind though um i mean i have people in mind but i mean i think there's also the safe answers of like you know, the Tony Blooms of the world and the people that have been like, I mean, the most successful. So. Well, I mean, but Tony Bloom is like a whole nother level, right? Of course. Right. I mean, is those he still, are the, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people that are big enough to, I mean, size can, can help when you can control markets. Like I, I thought you were about to say years. size matters, Rufus. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a good question though, right? I kind of like that question. Yeah, I agree. We should probably keep these down like for the next time we have someone on that's a professional better and we ask them if you lost your ability to bet and you could only make money from a, someone else betting for you, who would you who would you back? That's a good question. I mean... And you have to like back someone who you think isn't going to lose their edge for whatever reason, right? That's another good point. Yeah, long-term. So you got to... You, yeah you got to make money for your family the rest of your lives. Um, so who would you back? Right. I think I would have backed. I definitely would have wanted to back Corral Bob in the heyday. Right. Well, I know, do think uh, it, what's that? You know, it's like, I, I would have loved to have bet man city to win the premier league back in whatever year when they were 2000. No, it's not the same thing because ultimately Corral Bob was a man city. It was yeah. Corral uh, Bob's process at least as much as I know about it from people that worked for him was an incredible process. And he had incredible people working for him. Right. I mean, that's like, 
that's that goes without saying. I mean, I don't know how much of that's covered in the podcast, but you know, he had an incredible collection of people working for him. So, and we, we yeah, we both know some of them. What um, what kind of person would you like? Like, who do you consider? And we've had this conversation, but like, who's the person that you would love to like? You know, back from an advantage play standpoint, like you're like, hey, I just want a percentage of your future earnings going forward. Yeah, I would. I mean, I'm going to be biased towards people that sort of have the quantitative skill set and the critical thinking skills. No, think- but it doesn't even have to be gambling at this point. You could back like Jennings or Bales or something. Hey, by the way, what's going on with Bales and Josh Hermsmeyer? What? Why? Why do they hate each other? I don't know. I think it's it has to do with crypto and NFTs though. Because I, I think, think Josh Hermsmeyer is, was Josh like- is not Josh is very anti or, or bearish on crypto and NFTs, I believe. So, mm. by the way, one of the questions here is we'd love to hear your feelings on Bitcoin. What was yeah, interesting no is, is that I was actually thinking when we were thinking about having another guest, I was thinking about Hermsmeyer and then I was like on Twitter and I was like, oh, Hermsmeyer might be really hot right now. I need to figure out what's going on with them before I decide whether we have them on our podcast. Because I found like the time we had him on to be pre- pretty interesting. Yeah. He's had a very interesting career too. Yeah. And he likes wine. So we could talk wine. Um, okay. Do you want to do, let's cover a couple more questions and then maybe give a little bit of NFL info because I need it for tomorrow with Tony Kornheiser. And then, and then, then we'll do our trip around college, right? Yeah, we'll do all of that. Okay. Let's do one more question then pick one more question and we'll save these. We I'm going really to let you pick. We'll go, we'll revisit these again. We'll add to these as people throw more in and then we'll revisit these because it's kind and, of fun. And I'll try to get to some of the ones that are like maybe not as good for podcast content, but kind of quicker answers that I can just answer on Twitter. Um, All right. What 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 do you want as our last question? Um, no, well, let's let's we'll end we'll, let's end with one from Logan. Besides yourself, who do you think had the best expected ROI in the golf Calcutta? And what percentile do you think your respective finishes over all the majors would rank? I.e., is just massive profit a 99th percentile outcome? So this is for Jeff. Um, no, it's not for me. I mean, well, I, I want to know what you, percentile you consider your finishes in Calcutta. It's definitely not 99 because, like, we had ourselves in a lot of those Calcuttas as having a pretty significant edge. Right now, do you do you think that your gun to your head? Do you think that that your theoretical edge is your actual edge? Uh, that's not really a soup question, is it? You know what that's from? No, that's from uh, Finding Forrester with Sean Connery. Ah. Uh, it's basically him saying like that's a hard question. Um, I think it's easy question. I mean, I think, I mean, no, I don't think my theoretical is, is the same as my actual, but I also 99th percentile outcome is a pretty outlier outcome. Right. And I don't, and I don't think that's a fair thing, given the fact that we thought in many of our, in many of the, the Calcuttas that we had, you know, like hundred K EV kind of situation. You had a hundred K. Yeah. But that's, you also had like the I mean, you, yeah, you, we had a, we had a fair amount at stake for sure too. Oh, I know. So what, okay. So like, what out percentile outcome would you think? I don't know. I'd have to ask, we could you the best person to ask would be my partner who actually knows math and does the math. Right. Like we can yeah, ask but at him. the same time, at the same time, I think to, to, 
you can't just go off of your model, just like I wouldn't go just strictly off of my model necessarily. I mean, I would say that. So what's what's I what's I had if I thought I had a what's, 15, what's a what's a three what's a three standard deviation event? I don't know. We, I mean, right? That's what we're talking about, right? Like yeah. it's the standard deviation event that we're talking about, right? It was definitely more than a one standard deviation event in each Calcutta. I, what's that? In each Calcutta, I think you were probably at least a standard deviation above. That's what I'm saying. But what does that I think cumulative? a one percent, a 99th percentile outcome is like a three standard deviation yeah, event, isn't but, it? Right, but but we have multiple one plus standard deviation events. Like you add it together, you know. I mean, I don't know how that's that's. I would I go with 96th. I'll go 96th. I'd say I'm going under the 99. <laughs> I'd go under 99 too, but yeah. Well. We'll see you next year. We're going to do Calcutta's for the four majors again. Dude, I'm like scarred. I'm, I'm going to be like gun shy because. I mean, I'm going to get crushed. Of course. You know, that's going to happen. Well, no, yeah, you're, now you're reverse jinxing. And everyone is going to be so happy that I get crushed. They're going to love it. So I'm going to continue to show people that I have no edge at golf. Okay. All right. Let's go to NFL. We only have one play in the NFL this week. Do you have any? Week seven. Well, we had the second half on. We had the second half over today. So I didn't realize how hard that line moved towards Denver. Wasn't it like minus four or four and a half? Well, because Keenum, right? Right, I know, but Keenum's not much of a downgrade. He's like maybe. No, I, I was looking two. at that line and I was like, God, that seems almost like Cleveland should be the play, but I don't. I don't think we ran numbers. I made it Cleveland minus four point one actually with Keenum. Um, which is you should have bet it minus two. Did you bet it? No, because I didn't notice until like the game was starting. And you know, I and I'm, I've decided at this point I'm not betting into a game day NFL line just on a on a big market like that. So, um, so I, we I think, have Kansas City I, I minus think, though, four. I do think that Keenum seems like, in a way, a better fit for the Browns and the mm-hmm. fact that they have such a strong supporting cast. Um, they have a you know great run game. Obviously, they didn't have um, well running backs don't matter. So it doesn't matter. Right. They didn't have Chubb or, or hunt, but, um, but in a way they're a team that isn't asking that much of their quarterback and like Mayfield does a lot of dumb shit. Yeah. So, okay. Who do you have? We just have, we just have Kansas city minus the four. And then I think we have an over, I think we I have over in the Rams. Oh, I don't have a bet on it. I make it minus three Kansas city minus three. Huh? So you kind of like Tennessee. you probably had Tennessee, earlier when they were like no i didn't bet it or it's not okay. logged if we bet it my partner might have bet it on and not logged it because he sometimes does that but eventually I'll, I'll find out if he bet it and he saw my numbers i like miami is that still i think they should be a favorite Ooh, i kind of like that i mean i bet on miami a lot so that just seems that seems right for the pickings for me miami plus two and um yeah it's like miami's been bad but what the hell has atlanta done to make you think they're any better yeah and miami i mean they they were playing with a backup quarterback for a while um it's i don't know what what is it feels like they've certainly underperformed their talent level and their expectations so far yeah so you lose to jacksonville people think you suck this is true. Uh, anything else in the NFL, Rufus? Let's see. Um, 
I don't have a lot. No, I have very little. You I know, guess, I guess like, I mean, this is one of those games where it's just the number is so high that, that my number is never going to be high enough, but I make, I make the Rams um, a 12.7 point favorite. And I think that spreads up to 16. That's not one. I'm 16 and a half. Yeah. That's it's just, yeah. I mean, in like Houston, I make 16. Well, what about Houston? 19. I make it minus 16.6, but that's, I'm, that's not enough of an edge for me to bet. Um, Yeah. So. um, What do you make? Oh, good. Just looking at this, I, I haven't bet this, but it looks like, I mean, I probably lean New Orleans a little bit, but that's not unusual. <laughs> but, but not enough to make, I mean, I make it seven. Mean number of seven, not median. So, and it looks like that's a five. I'm not, midweek, I'm not going to bet that. It's a four and a half now. No, the five's not worth a lot. If it gets to four, I'll probably um... I mean, unless depending on the time, like if it, if it's for like tomorrow, I'll bet it. But if it's for on Sunday morning, I probably won't. Yeah, and the reason is because I, I have a lot more respect for the market on a Sunday morning than I do on a Friday, and so I'm essentially yeah. going to regress my this. number to a market number more. So I'm, I'm well, I was, there was a pod, there was a mailbag question about that, and so I'm kind of touching on it a little bit. So I mean, yeah. I yeah, so I don't. You. The only thing right now that I would bet is Miami. Plus two and a half. Okay. Let's go through college. Okay. Oh, I got to check and see how my games did. I forgot. Did you play I, some I, today? I yeah, it's second half sand games. I, I don't think they were doing well. At halftime, they were not looking good. Um, and they did not end up doing well. But my second halves did better, so that's good. Uh, so, yeah, I had, I had Tulane plus 14 and a half. They lost by a lot of points, 29. They lost by 29. And I took Louisiana Lafayette um, minus seven, no, minus 15 and a half all the way up through minus 17. Um, and they lost by, or they won by one. They won by one. So, and my second half bet on, on Louisiana Lafayette also lost. So that's not good. But I took I had Florida Atlantic second half that one, but nobody cares. Right, just, let's let's actually talk about games that people can still play, and let's go quickly through this because well, we've, we've luckily the people missed out on all the losers, so that's good. Um, games that people can still play. I let's see, Colorado State. I believe that's still available to play. Yes, it is. Yeah, I like Colorado State a lot. Um, what, what what's your line for that right now? Minus three. Yeah. That's what I bet it at too. Nice. Um, what else we got? You know, I agree. Here's here's one that I I like a lot, and um, and our boy Cheetah likes, and that's the over in UMass Florida State. Mm. So, what did you get that at? I got it at fifty nine and a half and sixty. So it's at sixty right now. I make it sixty four point five. Okay. Um, Play some Jeopardy music for you. Do 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 do. Um, Penn State. I'm laying a pretty big number, but I I laid. What is that? What's that now? It was twenty three and a half. Twenty three and a half. Yeah, I, I played it twenty three and a half and twenty three, and um, 
I still like it there. Okay. Uh, Next. University of Ohio. Ohio. I think they're Ohio University. Ohio University. The University of Ohio in Ohio. They're not in Miami or anything. Um, Nope. And I, it looks like it's five and a half. I got some money line and I got six and a half. Um, but I actually think the game should be like, I mean, I, literally my number is way off on this. Um, I think they should be a small favorite actually. They did. Okay. I will say part of that is going to be the fact that um, they did underachieve against an FCS team by 30 and a half points and Kent state over performed the points spread by 30 points. So, um, but uh, let's see. Any, any, let's see any of these big, are there any marquee games this week that I like? Are there any more games that I still like at all? Um, Florida International, big marquee game there. Yeah, FIU, I'm glad you found a marquee game. Yeah, um, I played that at plus, let's see, 15 and a half and plus 16. What is our price? Uh, I am looking plus 15 and a half. Western Kentucky. It is plus 15 and a half still. Okay. I like that one. Nice. That is my, that is my biggest position of the weekend actually. Cool. Yeah. What, what do you make, uh, USC Notre Dame? Um, I make Notre Dame minus 11. Oh, so, so Notre Dame minus seven, you could sprinkle a little bit there. Yeah. All right. Well, there we certainly, go. Certainly, certainly. I mean, I think that's that's one that at least based on the, where we are in the week, I, I would basically um, have is slightly slightly positive. All right. Well, there's our trip around college. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about, I think that's it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed this mailbag. Next week, we will have a guest. So we can, you can go back to not having to listen just to us and maybe Rufus will actually do the podcast on the first time I try to do it with them. So talk to you guys all next week. Yeah. And, and look, Jeff, I mean, this week I came in sober, prepared. Yeah, you're great. You're good. Thanks. You're, you're great. analytically driven media coverage. sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of it.